Let's talk about this. So when you look at the master, the master application, it is, it's a tool that I created for my customers uh, to explicitly help them centralize core data about their organizations, uh, about their organization and their key projects or programs or a program or project that they're looking to get funded. In the world of efficiency, time management, effectiveness, consistency, a master grant application uh, is a tool that helps nonprofits mature and otherwise get to the point of organizing their information and submitting it on time, every time, consistently with consistent content that doesn't require major editing or rewriting. So as we've you know, been talking about since the beginning of class that all of the homework assignments are designed to be realistic. This is no different. Whereas if you came up with a credible idea that can be sustained, not only in the marketplace for, you know, in, in competing for, you know, dollars with customers who don't have to give it to you and you can sustain it with a grant application, then you're really moving in an interesting direction towards sustainability for your organization, your program. So a grant application is a part of telling your story. It is also a part of, you know, communicating your strategy, your approach, your competency, uh, your philosophy of the work and, you know, communicating to funders that you are a credible investment, you know, for this idea. And so um, it's broken down into sections. The first section you see here uh, is all about just the basic information about the organization, right? So key contact primarily is your CEO or it's the director of development, but someone of that ilk is being entered in here. There are funders who do want to see your social media handles if you have any so that they can just evaluate what you're posting, right? It gives further context to the story. Mm -hmm. It gives further context to the background of who you are. And in some cases, funders may want to follow you and be a part of the journey socially and say, we follow this group. We want to tag you. If we fund you, we want to, you know, be able to share what you're doing on our timeline, et cetera. So they'll ask for that information. Um, then you want there will be sections in the grant application that ask for other basic organizational information, such as your mission, your vision statement, your core values, your organizational history. So when you're typing this stuff in, I don't think I have any word count limitations here. So you can go as far and as long and as deep as you want. But a word of caution for, you know, a real application, there will likely be character or word counts that you're going to have to manage for. Uh, so since I don't have it here in this particular uh, sample, don't worry about it. But just be mindful of that when you're you're putting this information together. For basic program information, you do need a program name. So what's the name of the idea, the concept that you're proposing? Um, and you want to tick off a box. Now, I do have limited box options in this sample on purpose. If it doesn't neatly fit in any of these boxes, just simply put other and then type it in you know, for yourself. And then say more about the project, right? Who's your target population? Again, very limited options here. If you don't see it, hit other and then talk about your customer. This is going to be important because now in, in certain grant applications, particularly the extensive ones, they are very interested in you talking about your customer. Who's who is it that you're targeting for this work? This does a couple of things. One, it brings clarity to the approach of your work. 
but it also communicates to the funder your core competency and knowledge about the customer. So this is where nonprofits who are newer or who, whose programs and ideas are not as mature, they kind of get in trouble because your funders are really, really smart. And so they can read this and determine, okay, if you are serving at-risk youth, but how you describe them, the demographics, et cetera, they can tell if you're not as seasoned as you should be when you're competing for these dollars. So organizations that are new, um, you know, part of the reason why they need to get a couple of years under their belt is to really learn the client, the customer um, that they're serving, uh, their demographics, the industry, the work, all, all of the things that go into it. And we had a conversation several weeks back. Lee was being um, presented with an opportunity to to acquire or merge with a nonprofit that does book reading and book, you know, mobile reading. And while I think she said it was something that she liked, the 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 upskilling, the 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 steep learning curve would come back to haunt her at some point, right? Unless staff comes with it, but it will come back to haunt because if the staff doesn't stay or if she feels that the staff isn't a fit for her organization or that there isn't just any resources for the staff and they're just selling or you know letting go of that book of business um then lee when she's getting pursuing funding whether sponsorships or, or grant applications or even contracts to compete for services it will be painfully obvious that there is a significant knowledge and skill gap and it will show up in a grant application no matter how much you dress it up. So it's really a telltale sign of your knowledge and your capacity to take on this work. Uh, if there's preferred language that you want to use to describe your customers, you want to put it here. We have a client that does not like to use language for uh, black and brown people um, to kind of indicate their disadvantage, right? Because of race or color or geography, right? Any language like that, it's a non-starter for them because it's a part of their messaging, their core uh, values, uh, how they show up. And so there are things that they prefer to say uh, 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 to describe their customers. A good example is people who are coming home from prison. You know, the, the, the terminology today is these are justice-involved persons, people who are involved in the justice system. Or if they're coming home from prison, they're returning citizens. Hmm. So if you're going to use words like ex-con in your language, just understand that funders who are deep in this work, when they see that, they know that you're not plugged in. Because language, has it continues to change and evolve. And of course, as I get further and further removed from certain operations or certain uh, core projects, you know, the language that's being communicated in this video uh, may not be relevant. Right. So be mindful of the evolution of language, language to avoid. What language do you not want to communicate? Right. So you don't want to use the word ex con. Right. We don't right. use that. But we'll, we'll say returning citizen. Um, so whatever is relevant to your idea, you want to make sure you highlight that. What's the program budget, not the organizational budget, program budget. Uh, this is also a telltale sign of capacity and knowledge. If you are a youth serving organization and you say, all I need is $5,000 to do, you know, to serve a thousand families and, and give out turkeys and, and toys for Christmas and to do a youth program that does workforce development and get the kids off the street and save lives. The funder will immediately realize and say, is there a typo? 
did you did you mean 50 or 500,000? No, we just need 5,000. Then this is this is not for you because the capacity of the grant you're pursuing right that they they have capacity for much more. Now if the grant limit is 5,000 and they are one of several funders in a portfolio, that's different. But if you're pursuing a major funder, you say all I need is 5, 5,000 and the average award is going to be six figures plus it's a telltale sign that that there's limited capacity in the leadership and the staff, et cetera. So this is going to be important for you to think about what's that program budget going to be? What's the problem statement? What's the community need that you're trying to resolve? Now we need to describe the project overall. What are you trying to do? And I provide a methodology here that um, that, I've, that I have used for years. Um, and I use this in so many um arenas and so many applications but these are the what i call the five strategy questions so it starts off with where are we now this is a part of putting together your program narrative you you will see questions in your grant application that look somewhat similar to these they won't say these exact words or terms but you will notice questions in major applications that really ask these questions so first one is where are you now what is the current history what is the current situation that your program is dealing with or your customer is dealing with? What's the right now? What's the good, the bad, and the ugly all at once? Uh, you can go organizational. You can go customer. You can go industry. You can go any direction. In fact, you might want to have multiple. So a good example is um, let's do a youth-serving organization. In our current state, there are uh, 7,000 opportunity youth in our city. That means that these are 7,000 young people between the ages of 18 and 24 who are not connected to the workforce system, who are not enrolled in advanced education or ongoing education opportunities, and who, who currently do not have a future pathway identified for self-sufficiency uh, and economic mobility. Further, we believe we have a solution for those young people. However, our current funding limits or, or funding limitations has uh, limited our ability to expand the number of people we can serve. So right now, in 2023, with the year almost being over, we have served, um, you know, let's say 1,672 young people. But we think that we have capacity to serve nearly 3,000 young people, but our current financial situation does not allow us, and we would like to double our service, service output. And what you're getting, that's kind of the bad parts, right? in our organization and with the youth. Well, the current, the other right now situation to think about too is for every, and I just saw this stat, for every three unemployed people, there are five job opportunities for them to choose from, which means for opportunity youth, if there are 7,000 opportunity young people, then that means that there's double, in some cases, triple job opportunities for them. There's roughly 20, 18 to 21,000 uh, job, av jobs available for them to choose from. And we want to be able to help our young people identify the opportunity that works for them and aligns with their future. So the right now speaks of challenges. It speaks of opportunities. It speaks of good, the bad, the ugly. So it's all about telling the truth. 
The next question is, well, where do you want to go? What's It's a vision statement. So given the right now situation, limited resources, a, a desire to double services, uh, a, a proven track record, which is also part of the right now story too. We've been doing this for X number of years. We serve 1,600 young people, right? So where do you want to go? What's the vision? Well, we want to serve 3,000 young people and connect uh, roughly 80% of them to open opportunities that are to to uh, open opportunities uh, that are connected to self-sustaining wages, economic mobility opportunities, and it helps them get on the pathway of developing potentially a career pathway that provides self-sufficiency long-term. That's the vision, right? You may have a vision that says we want to serve 3,000 young people, get them connected to jobs to reduce crime in our community or to reduce poverty or to increase uh, uh, access to housing or 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 transportation or to increase access to childcare whatever the mission or purpose is this vision statement this is where this is going to go because the funders going to want to know well what are you what are you selling what are you putting out there and why the third question is well how do you get there if your vision is to connect three serve 3000 young people and you want to connect them all to jobs and you want to see them economically self sufficient how do you get there? What are the steps, the strategies, the approaches? This is very, fairly high level. Fourth question is, well, how do you, uh, fourth question is, what steps do you need to take to get there? So you go from high level. Now you got to explain uh, on a much more deeper level each of those strategies. What are your sub steps, sub steps, subtasks, action plan stuff, etc. Fifth question is, well, how do you measure success? Whether it's number of people served whether it's number of people recruited, whether it's uh, uh, other KPIs that, that you identify for the services, uh, number of people placed, number of employers engaged, you know, average wages for young people, like whatever is relevant to your program, you want to identify those measurements of success. I'm a big believer in program partners um, that you will see this in grant applications but from a tactical perspective, program partners really are essential to your your success. They are a lifeline. Um, and one of Lee's examples this semester, we talked about partnering with big brothers, big sisters, right? Recruiting talent uh, to go into the school, recruiting from the school district, et cetera. Those are your partners. Those are people who organizations that have credibility, standing, maturity that can add value and are recognized names to the funders you're pursuing. Okay, so they're partnering with so-and-so organization. Oh yeah, we fund them, we know them, or we're familiar with them. What's your timeline, right? Generally wanna speak in quarters, Q1, two, three, or four in the year. And then what are your accomplishments over the years? So we serve 1,600 young people. Of the 1,600, we were able to help get 89% placed. We were able to see an average of, of $18.62 uh, per hour in wages for our young people, we were able to see more an increase of 30% of young people access childcare for the children. We've seen a significant increase in our young people access transportation, uh, steady transportation, right? Whatever those stats are, tell your story because funders want to know what that is. Uh, increasingly, since uh, George Floyd's murder, uh, has been significant questions around DEI inclusion. Right. Uh, what's your approach from a staffing standpoint, from a board standpoint, from a, a programmatic standpoint? Talk about your philosophy. If you don't have one, uh, this is a really good chance, a good opportunity to get that together. What is DEI? Uh, diversity, equity and inclusion. OK. Yep. And uh, next up would be staff. Uh, typically, the, I only highlight three staff people, but here's the format. Uh, name and their biography, just a paragraph about what they do, what they're about, their contribution to the work, their skill set, 
uh, what role they will play in the project. Uh, recognition plan, I kind of have that built in for you, but you can kind of create your own too. Funders want to know if you if we fund you, and some funders may already have a recognition plan uh, um, policy and packet for you to follow. Some funders don't. They just want to know, how are you going to recognize us? How are you going to shout us out? Social media, website, uh, mailer, news newsletter. Uh, you're going to put up uh, a cheerleading signs at the next football high school football game. I don't know. Tell us what you're going to do, right? You're going to at least release uh, – uh, one of those airplanes with the signs and on a tail saying we got funded by so-and-so foundation, like tell us <laughs> <laughs> so we can, <laughs> that, that's a good one. So we can know, um, you know, how we can support the marketing and messaging of our investment in your work. Sustainability plan, key information. How are you going to sustain this project, right? Who else are you pursuing? What other funders have you secured and pursued to keep the work going, right? Funders do not want to be in the business of being the only funder of your project or your work. Uh, they don't want to be the reason you go out of business. They don't want to be the reason you stay in business. They, they don't want to be the reason why uh, there are questions around payroll and bill payment, et cetera. So what are your current funders, future funders? Who are you pursuing? Who's actively on your uh, your list of folks to pursue? Dr. Uh, Clark? Yes. Um, relative to the sustaining question, what is your thought process? Like, you know, some grants are very specific of what is that three to year, three to five year sustainability plan? Like, cause exactly like what you said, you know, they don't want to give us one time funding and then next year the program doesn't exist in your experience, especially if there's no criteria that we are outlining, is it that two to four year? Is it, you know, the next three to five years? Like, is there a sweet spot that we need to show that we have intentionally thought about how to sustain this going forward? It depends, right? Because tapping into multi-year funding is an increasing enigma for organizations. Two-year, three-year funding. If you're able to secure two-year, three-year fund opportunities, that is a projection. So what I have found and what we do for our clients is that we highlight uh, funders as much as we can that have, you know, committed a multi-year investment to us as a current funder and future funder, particularly if you've tap in, tapped into statewide foundations, large regional community foundations, or have secured a contract with your city or state to do a major body of work, those are considered multi, typically multi-year funders if, if you're able to secure it at any level. Next up, depending on the timing, you also want to highlight folks that you have secured on a year-by-year -year basis. So there are funders who will fund you for three years at a time, but won't give you a three-year commitment. You just have to re reapply. So depending on when you're applying for another funder, that funder that's already secured is either considered secured and or is in the position of a, a pending application. Right. So I think that's that's the best way to think about it and approach it. The other way to think about it, too, is if you have partners at the table that you're bringing on this project, their secured and pending applications count towards the sustainability of this project, too. All right. Does that help? Yes. I mean, I know like where we are, you know, the MOUs are for, you know, the next calendar year or the next academic year, renewable annually. 
So there is a statement of, okay, in a year we can reevaluate and adjust Mm -hmm. going forward, but that the conversation is that this is an ongoing program. We just may need to tweak it on an annual basis as to what that looks like going forward. Yep. So if you're closer to the end of that funding year and you know you're going to resubmit a new app, it it becomes either secured or pending, depending on your strategy for the application you're submitting for another funder. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Yep. And I do recommend, you know, having a solid mix. 50 50 60 40 i I like to show more secured funding uh uh funded i like to show more secured funders than not because if you're showing um a 30 70 mix with 30 is secured and 70 is pending you know how would you feel if you're making a decision you know and and you're part of the decision is well you know, you're coming to our foundation and we're part of the 70, but what if we don't like your idea? What if we don't feel this is not the right time or fit, right? So it doesn't sound as good. So I think there's creative options to think about when looking at how to present and pursue sustainability. I do think that being monolithic and being rigid in how you present stuff can can create some challenges for you, which is why, you know, in some cases you don't have many cases you don't have your accounting person do the stuff. It's, it's mainly the development person or the ED who has kind of a perspective of relationships to say that's going to be a pending or that's secured or it's pending and we expect uh, the application to be uh, finalized or approved in thirty to forty five days or sixty days. Because most EDs and funding uh, development leaders, they have a feel for many of the funders that that they're pursuing. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, organizational files. You know, these are not. This is not exhaustive. Um, this <clears throat> section is not designed for you to go find this stuff especially if you're doing this for the first time and or you're doing this of an organization that you're not associated with. This is designed to say, hey, if you're going to start pursuing funding opportunities, you might want to start organizing these docs on a regular basis and updating them on an annual basis on schedule. Your updated 990, approved budget, audited financials, list of board members, 501c3 letter, uh, W9 form, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's that is it. Okay. For new, so I mean, you know, just to kind of rift a little bit. So you're right, and I think one of the hardest transitions for me was when I was no longer in operations and I, you know, became a full time consultant. Part of the magic of fundraising is less about what's written on paper and more about the relationships. I miss that part. You know, I miss getting to know partners and funders and learning their stories and their vision for what's next and how what we're doing could possibly be in alignment. There have been many times that we've secured funding over coffee way before an application came out. And that's the relationship game that I just I fell in love with. Right. We raised millions doing that. So now in my role as consultant and um 
uh, you know, just someone who's there to support our clients, we can advise, but we don't get involved in a relationship piece because every funder is different. Um, and I think that there's just a key component for you as a leader for you to learn how to build effective relationships because there are a lot of times that you're going to get a heads up about an opportunity well before something is written and it's it's going to be a formality. And if it's a fresh relationship, you know, it, it like you said, what we, we give our clients a 30 to 50% success rate for brand new apps, uh, unknown, you know, no relationship, no his, no funding history, et cetera. And so you got to have thick skin. You got to rotate through these opportunities. You got to keep it moving. The thing also I'll tell you about the story process it is it's weird because you got people who have been, you know, they are effective, like um, uh, investigative writers. There are people who are good research writers, academic writers, people who are good uh, poetic writers. It, it's it's literally a little bit of this, that and everything in between. And that mix, whatever that nexus point is, that's good grant writing. You got to have your data and your research, your good academic foundation. You got to tell good stories, got to understand the characters in the story. I believe that there has has to also be some poetry to this thing. You know, uh, how you articulate the nuances of the work and say it in a different way, not for shock value, but to give people something to think about. And I'll give you an example. We during pre uh pre pre covid and during covid i did a lot of workforce development for youth young adults returning citizens etc and instead of talking about workforce development um as like this thing we do for people who can't do for themselves the language began to shift on my team talking about how do we help employers identify talent within urban centers uh, the, the thing about that, how do you help employers find talent within urban centers? Because pre-COVID, particularly during COVID, employers were losing people left and right through death, resignation, or retirement. Or termination, meaning you got fired too. And business was still going on. So my keywords now, how do you help employers connect with talent available persons who can fill job opportunities in urban centers another way of saying the inner city where black and brown uh highly barrier families individuals exist where they live and that became a conversation now though that's language you may hear from professional hr uh folks right we, we're not an hr business but there's some overlap right and so learning how to tell that story about you know young jimmy who's 19 justice involved uh, living in a difficult situation and how he's fighting through every situation he's been through to make himself available and attractive to an opportunity that, um, you know, is being presented to him. Like, what's that story like? So now you're you're an investigative reporter where you're also researching all this information about Jimmy, about the employer. Now you're an academic person, you're telling the stats, and now you're a poet. It's a, it's a little bit of everything. And and it's almost like um, your grandmother who always make she made this amazing meal, but never wrote the recipe down because it was here in the head and here mm -hmm. in the heart. And then before the meal's ready, she gets a little little spice, this little pinch, and it makes the difference. 
in an ordinary distance. That's that, that pinch. That's what grant writing is like to me. For mature or non-mature organizations, partners can be all the difference, right? I have a class um, that I sell called How to Raise Serious Money or Land Your Next Major Grant with a Partner because your partner um, lends credibility to what you're trying to get funded. Even if you've been in business for a long time, you may be introducing a very new project that has not been associated with your organization in the past. So what you do, you go get a partner who has credibility. You bring them to the table. You also take a look at your rationale for doing this, meaning you got to look at your history and make the case that we've been doing this to some degree, just in a different way or a different form. And we want to be more intentional about doing X. So here's the connection. It's no different from when you put your resume together to get a job. What makes you qualify for a job you never had before? Well, it's kind of your connection points to the new job, to the old job. So you got to tell that story. I'm also a big fan, and this is something we talked about in class a little bit too, but I'm a big, big fan of piloting things for free. So if you've become really, really good at what you're doing and you're trying to expand, if you have some resources, some dollars left left, left aside, I'm a big fan of piloting uh, elements of expansion, innovation, uh, evolution, and current or future program opportunities. So that when funding opportunities open up, you can then tell a story based upon what you've piloted. So now you not only have a partner at the table, you not only have your organizational history, but you have recent history of you testing a concept and piloting concept and having real results. The last thing, too, um, I'll tell the story like this. When I graduated with my doctor, my mother said um, that. My my doctor degree is actually her degree, right? And <laughs> she she would tell that story. And um, essentially, what she was trying to say was that, well, even though I didn't help him write a paper, I didn't help him do anything substantive in the program. I laid the foundation and gave the initial investment that led to him becoming Doctor Clark. So I gave him food, clothing, shelter. Uh, I made sure he didn't have anything he wanted or needed for for the first eighteen years of his life. And that foundational investment led to an ongoing you know, academic pursuit of ultimately becoming Dr. Clark, right? And it, there's a story in there. And the story is when you invest in a relationship, their results become your results too. So if you have a partner that you can support on a pilot idea, pilot project, you can invest some dollars in what they're doing and share in the spoils of the success of that concept that also builds up your resume, credibility, experience, et cetera, right? Um, you have a $100,000 program and you invested 5,000. You may poo-poo the 5,000 and say, well, I didn't invest much. Or you can have the attitude of, we invested 5,000. Uh, we also volunteered and we were also active participants in this process and we learned a lot. There's a story there. And then when you approach this partner to say, hey, I really wanna do X, Y, and Z, would love for you to work with me on this there's a higher likelihood that they're going to say, sure, let's talk about this because you've invested something of, of, of from, from your coffers to help and support this. So partners can be extremely valuable uh, in your ability to generate revenue. And the fastest way to raise money 
is through relationships, not only with funders, but also with other providers who are willing to write you into a grant as a sub who willing to partner with you or who willing to be a sub to you supporting your efforts. I can go on and on and on about that. Um, but yeah, it, it can make a significant difference um, in your journey of raising money. Mm, let's see here. I'll share this presentation. Um, and and maybe this will help, um, you know, just to help you think through the concepts uh, that we're that we're talking about. Um, let me share my screen here. And um, this is one of one of several presentations that I've given um, to talk that talks about how to write in a, a, a pretty good grant. Um, so number one, uh, we talked about relationships, fast way to raise money. Um uh, so the slowest way to raise money is through strategy, right? And it's mm -hmm. your strategic plan and other documents in place. But what I'm going to share you share with you falls into that category. Listen, this this can help you raise money, but it's going to be slow. Just understand this. Um, so there are a couple of things you need to kind of master when it comes to grant writing. Number one, you got to plan the writing process. So I, when we engage our clients and we serve as a grant writer for uh for our clients. We plan the process a year out in advance. We have a calendar uh, of what's due. We also have a specific due date when we like to submit grants to our clients for their review and editing because we know that life happens, um, stuff happens at the workplace, delays happen. Our commitment is that they will always submit a grant on time, but it begins with our writing process and when we write, how we write, our, our journey of getting from nothing to something. I would encourage you to think about that. I would encourage you to think about number two, you got to become creative in your writing process. So there's there's like the raw data and information about your program that you have, right? That it, it, there's nothing cool or sexy about it, right? It just it is what it is. But when you have that stuff written down on paper, it is helpful to learn how to say what's on paper differently, creatively, artistically, poetically. If you don't have that skill, then gather some people around you who can help tell the same story but differently to a different audience and start to develop the language around that. Uh, next up, to develop the right uh, writing techniques. We talked about some of those terminology. So you got to have the terminology down relative to the subject matter you're writing about, and that's relevant to the funder. Again, if funders can read your stuff and determine you don't have – the basic knowledge, and they know that because of the terminology you're using or not using, that can be a deterrent uh, to funding you. Also, uh, develop a storytelling approach. Um, there's a guy, I think his name is Andy Goodman. He has great framework around how to tell an effective story and practice the writing process. So it's a nonstop um, process of practice um etc 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 so uh hopefully that that helps 